0: stuck in my bed and i'm billy i'm also a person in long-term quarantine recovery
1: (laughs) (laughs) i gotta find some new stuff to say there i'm running out uh (laughs) welcome back to recovery sort of uh we wanted to definitely start out this week you know we we did our episode last week of course on uh whether it was okay to promote people's names and we got a little bit of recap to do from that we also got a nice email from selena uh, and she talked about you know being thrown off because she couldn't listen for a little while and then when she came back we had a new new theme music so i thought that was kind of funny it threw her off it made her think uh you know god was telling her that she wasn't a, she had to go back out and run cuz she was healed <laughs> uh so that was nice and then we got also another nice message uh there's another podcast uh, it's brutally sober it's interesting it's just kind of a a guy who's, you know, I don't know, agitated, annoyed with life a little bit as he's, you know, progressing in recovery, and and it's pretty entertaining due to that fact. Um, but he was asking us what recovery podcast we like, um, and of course, when I say us, I do mean me because I was on the one talking to him. But I I really, I did want to reach out to you, Billy, because I I was like, I I don't know. I I think we've had this conversation and I don't really like most of the recovery podcasts that are the, what you would call, I guess, the bigger name ones or the, and it's not that I don't like them. I think they're doing a great job. I'm glad they're spreading the message of recovery to, to a lot of people. I guess they just aren't really my flavor and, or aren't what I'm looking for when I listen. A lot of them are like interviews of people um, and I just didn't do it for me. And so I, I had the conversation with him and told him, you know, there was a couple I liked and I mentioned them. I, of course, I appreciate the people we interact with on Twitter. I think they're fun and I like their podcasts, but he already knows all of them. Um, but he he paid us a nice compliment and said that he he really felt like we were the people he listened to and got the most out of because he enjoyed our type of podcast. And that's not to say that we do it better than anybody else. It's just that he enjoys what we do uh, and the conversations we have. And so I
0: appreciated that. Yeah, me too. And that's, you know, again, part of wanting to do this was to try to be something different. When I listened to recovery podcasts, it, it almost felt like, you know, I don't know, I want to say something you could hear in a meeting or something that you could get by, you know, hearing a speaker. And I didn't I wasn't looking for an alternative to go into meetings or an alternative to get, you know, information per se. Um, I wanted to do it as like a discussion. Well, let's talk about some of this stuff. Let's see if we can open our minds and explore some of these topics a little more in depth, you know, and and not be afraid to sort of, uh, I don't know, be pigeonholed into one fellowship, one point of view, one limited way of looking at things and I think within our fellowships it's not necessarily safe to do that you know unless you're at someone's house with a friend or you know sitting around a campfire or whatever you know within a meeting you're not going to have some of these discussions that we've had or talk about some of these topics so those were the kind of topics that I wanted to talk about were things that might be a little more either controversial or try to have a more open-minded approach to things or you know, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: I, and I, you know, I want to theorize and, and like you mentioned before, pontificate <laughs> on these until they're dead, gone. We've dug <laughs> them back right. up and they're dead again. Um, and that's just not what I've heard in other places so much. Uh, there is like a, a Al Anon podcast for whatever reason that it struck me as enjoyable that I used to listen to, and I, I still do from time to time. Um, called the recovery show, which, you know, good name for a recovery show. Uh, so to get back to the Facebook post from last week, uh, we, we did the, the episode on, you know, people using people's names, uh, maybe their full names, maybe tagging their Facebook, maybe even, uh, mentioning what, you know, why they're famous. (laughs) And so, uh, I did not, I did not use that person's name in our in our show <laughs> episode title. So, so I did not use them.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah maybe we should have. I, we could
0: have got some more listens. <laughs> I,
1: right. I, I thought about it. Uh, so we, we posted it and we got some other people's opinions um, and people, <clears throat> people were kind of in agreement for the most part, but there was some different takes on it. Uh, Caroline, you know oh well uh Rachel had mentioned that she it was enjoying the the speakers but she missed the celebrity part at first and so once you know she realized that that was in there she she agreed that that seemed a little a little off and then Caroline you know same thing that we felt like she had she had seen that kind of post and it just didn't really sit very well with her um and that's kind of I think where we were at it was really less about is this okay or not even though that was the discussion And more about the fact that it just felt so, so wrong. (laughs) Uh, Barry makes an interesting point. He says, if your concern is anonymity, you give it up when you join social media, as far as I can tell. And and he might have a point there. What do you think about that?
0: Well, and I was just thinking to myself, I would say that I would disagree with that. Um, I don't give up my anonymity by joining social media. You'll see posts on uh, my page about recovery topics or recovery things, but I don't specifically affiliate myself with any fellowship. And, you know, I actively try not to. If I do, it's certainly either an oversight or by mistake. But I personally try very hard. To keep my anonymity online, again, not for my sake. I have no problem sharing about recovery or being in recovery or being a person that, you know, struggles with addiction. It's in respect for the traditions and respect for the fellowship that I try to keep my anonymity. So So I don't agree that just because I'm on social media and a person that talks about recovery that I give up my anonymity.
1: Well, I wonder also, and and he's from down near the Baltimore area. And what I have seen happen down that way is people will join Facebook and there's a lot of newer members down there. And uh, if you don't have your Facebook privacy settings locked down, like maybe you, I don't know, maybe you don't even realize you can lock them down where, where you get notified and have to approve when you get tagged in a post or something like people have taken pictures at NA meetings, events outside of meetings and just posted them and tagged people. And, uh, I think you do open yourself up to, to being, you know, outed in a sense when you're on social media, more so than if you weren't at all. Um, and uh, maybe cause honestly, I know a guy yeah, who's I not on social media. Yeah. Well, I know a guy who's not on social media, who's still in pictures and, and doesn't get tagged, but everybody knows who the hell he is and, and, you know, he's still on Facebook community as being the guy who's with us. So,
0: Right. And who doesn't, you know, remember, like, I mean, I remember being in jail and over the years I had been court ordered to meetings and stuff. And I had known some people that were in meetings and like mm. I would out them in jail. Oh, I remember that dude. He used to go to those NA meetings. <laughs> Cause I didn't know nothing about, you know, and that was before social media. So, right. When I talk about giving up my anonymity, what I mean is, you know, I can only be responsible for my behavior and my part in things. And, you know, whether I'd go to the extreme of if I, if I was tagged in a picture or a post that outed my anonymity, would I go untag myself? Because those are things you can do, too. I, You can untag yourself or whatever. Um, I don't know that I would go to that extreme, but I can only take responsibility for my actions. If someone else does something against me, I mean, obviously I can have a conversation with them about it, but you can't, you know, If I'm saying if I only ever want to keep my anonymity. Then I can't even go to regular meetings because somebody there is going to see me. That's maybe not a regular member or that's court ordered or that, you know, is going for whatever reason that might tell a coworker or a friend that, Oh yeah, I saw that dude at the meeting, you know, right. <laughs> you know, it's no. So, you're right. That could happen. Uh, just because we're in social media means we have less uh, respect or less expectation of privacy, you know?
1: Hmm. That might be an interesting discussion for a day. Is there less expectation yeah. of privacy on social media?
0: Well, again, uh, in- through education, it's all new. So as experienced members who have trying to understand and apply some of these principles of anonymity again, it's not a point of trying to make other people do what we think they should do. It's about education and, and just being an example of what you should do talking to people that I sponsor or people that want to talk about it. Hey, maybe you shouldn't be, you know, fucking tagging every NA event on your public page. Like maybe that's not the best idea. <laughs> Things like right. that. We, we you know, we learn by being the experienced members or the the people that have practiced and shared our uh, experience in those areas.
1: And I think, and so the next comment, uh, Stephen gets into a sort of similar idea that we are navigating these waters right now and and going to use the experience we have and also our new conditions to come up with new experiences. I, I believe what he's getting at, you know, saying that the social media aspect of this has kind of been bubbling under the surface for, for quite a while. And and he's right about that. I think, uh, you know, kind of what we were just talking about, people getting tagged in pictures and this, that, and the other. And now with this new, you know, pretty much all online format, it's sort of bubbling up to like, Oh, Hey, let's figure out these new, you know, traditions or, or these new ways that we have to operate, uh, you know, he, he's asking his first question was, does your definition of a private page on Facebook constitute a promotion or a public announcement? And, and I think that was kind of what you had mentioned last week about what, you know, NA's a statement on the matter was sort of if it is in a closed group, it's not a public announcement. It's what I think you said it was like a, a letter written to someone almost.
0: Yeah, that's the way that it could be used for that if the security settings were locked down and, and you know, those kind of things. Yeah. And even in that, though, I think they were expressing that more in the idea of, let's say you had, uh, you were trying to put on a convention or something and you wanted to have like a Zoom meeting with the participants of the convention committee, you know, that you could secure and lock that stuff down in a way that didn't make those kind of discussions public information. Mm. Um, that's kind of what I took away from what we read last week is like, you can have, you know, maybe conduct business meetings or maybe conduct correspondence or group conscience, you know, decisions in a closed format in a lockdown group. Yeah. You know, that's that was the way I read that. But. I gotcha. Uh, so. I guess if you had a closed Facebook group, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's too, it would be difficult. You'd almost have to have like guidelines or some policies as a, I guess, an area who would administer the page, you know, right? or right. Whether your it's, area has a website that has a discussion board or a, you know, a Facebook page for your area that controls, you know, who the members are or, you know, huh? yeah, that's, it would take a lot more thinking than what I've put into it. That's for sure. Right, right. And so I,
1: I think when we go to the next one, um, Edward seems a little uh, frustrated with everything. He said, We you know, we don't use last names and the anonymity is supposed to keep us equal. No big shots, no promotion, but with the world doing it, why not? And, and that's why I, you know, I asked him, I said, well, what do you mean? Is the world promoting? And, uh, he mentioned that's, that's what he feels like. That's what they do. Uh, They're supposed to do the group's bidding, but not anymore, and it changed when they changed the name of the Committee on Cooperation to Promotion and basically ordered the area to do the same without any input from the group. The more they promote, the more literature they can print and sell around the world. I know Edward is not alone in this sentiment or idea that uh, all literature is about money. I actually had a discussion, not a huge discussion about this fact, because I I don't know that I care to discuss it too deeply, but uh, somebody was talking about the new tradition workbook and how good it was. Um, Actually, it was, it was another guy named Jason. And I was telling him that I just, I was sort of in refusal to buy any more literature. Like I, I could read the literature I already have more and (laughs) I don't really need to spend more money. And, you know, uh, so I don't know, Edward seemed angry. and, And I think there's, or at least agitated or, or not happy with the changes uh, maybe at our world level. And, you know, I think plenty of people feel that way.
0: Yeah, and I and that's I'm assuming when he says they, because there's always this they and them vagary that people throw around. And sometimes when you ask him, well, who is they or who are, you know, them, I think he's referring to the world board. I would assume that's what he's talking about, cranking out literature and trying to sell it um yeah i i belong to a few groups that dig into some of that stuff a little bit and i read it more for entertainment than anything else i tend to not put a ton of energy into it um for myself mostly because i feel like you know my group meets every week and we have our meeting and we have the steps and we have the traditions and we have the basic texts and we have, you know, the, the literature that all the literature we ever need for a meeting. And that even if, you know, the world service closed down next week because they're financially broke, we'd still show up there every week and have our meeting with the literature that we have and we'd be fine. (laughs) And I believe that's the way the fellowship was Designed, and you know, I know there's a lot of other co- controversies of that stuff that I personally just don't have the energy to get caught up into a lot. <laughs> so, no, no, absolutely,
1: I'm with you. I, I kind of this is almost exactly where I got to the other day when I was having this discussion. It's not so much that I don't care what World Service does, but it's more like, uh, what it seems is when they put out this new literature, people seem to get uh, new and fresh insights into their recovery from it, right? So it seems like it's doing a positive in that sense. And if I don't want to buy it, I don't have to buy it. And no matter what World Service does right now, they are not impeding on my ability to show up and help the still suffering addict. Now, if they ever were to do something that held me up from doing that, then I might need to think about starting a new fellowship or taking (laughs) my fellowship back. But It was it was very much in line with the the specialty meetings. It was like, I don't see the harm in new literature, even if I don't want it. I don't have to buy it. It seems like it's doing some good stuff. So uh, I was happy for I was happy for our podcast. I felt like that
0: led me to a very healthy decision on the matter. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, Oh, good. I was just going to say, I agree. I think the same thing.
1: Uh, so RJ brought up our online meetings, technically sanctioned NA meetings. Uh, and so that started a, a a little discussion. You know, my initial response was, I don't know about sanctioned, but yes, they're, they're NA meetings. Like, you know, I'm pretty sure about that. And then uh, Jason, this is where Jason did chime in and, and asked what a sanctioned NA meeting was. And, and I think he brings about a good point. Like we seem to have this service structure that, believes NA meetings are only NA meetings once they get voted into an area and and that's not my understanding i think a meeting is a meeting right like it doesn't matter if the area votes it in or not maybe it's not in that area if the area doesn't vote it in but it's still a meeting if people are meeting and and following the the rules or the guidelines or the
0: traditions right right any meeting can start and and we had talked a little bit about this there's differences between an NA group And then in a meeting, and you know, digging into what those differences are, how you interpret some of that stuff. Um, but then, yeah, an NA meeting is any I forget that I'm going to say this generally, but I believe it's in the literature talks about a meeting is any gathering of two or more addicts, you know, the
1: spirit of recovery, right? Something like that,
0: based on the 12 steps and 12 traditions. You know, that's a meeting. yeah because we're following that 12 steps 12 traditions you know it's a meeting whether it's on a schedule or listed somewhere publicly or you know however it's i'm going to use the word promoted however it's promoted doesn't necessarily qualify it as sanctioned (laughs) right right it's interesting
1: we do you know there was a post a couple weeks back about something real similar if we could post you know uh, uh, what somebody was calling a renegade meeting on our area. And I'm like, it's not a renegade meeting. Like everyone's welcome, you know, a renegade meeting. I get, if you're breaking some of the rules, if you're saying certain people aren't welcome, if you're not following the guidelines, if you're not following certain traditions, sure. But this was just a meeting in somebody's backyard that started because the church closed down and they were like, Oh, you can't post that on, on our website. I'm like, why it's a meeting.
0: <laughs> right. I don't know. And I, I mean, I, to be honest and i know you know in our area we've had some meetings that don't allow certain people and stuff like that and to be frank i might make an argument that they shouldn't be listed on a meeting schedule but i don't know that i would actively try to shut them down you know what i mean like i still think they serve a purpose and if people are showing up there and and getting the Basic principles of recovery based off the steps and the traditions, then let it happen. I mean, I'm not gonna support it, you know, even if I'm allowed to go. I don't know if I'm on the approved list to go or not. You know, I don't know <laughs> that I not. would go anyway. Um <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, you know, I don't I don't feel like it's my right to go and try to shut them down or, or close them.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think I'm with you. I don't think we need to shut anything down. Like it, maybe it's right. not an NA meeting, but it's still a meeting of people trying to have some recovery and, and do some positive stuff. Right. Even if they have some certain rules and regulations that don't allow them to be part of the fellowship right? Or part of the program, I, I don't think they're doing a bad thing. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. That's interesting. So not to, you know, keep us moving along a little bit here. Last one, I think uh, Ted, Ted was coming from a different stance. He was coming from a more of an AA side of the street and he mentioned that's not in line with the traditions. And he said, again, technically anyone claiming AA membership on social media with their actual name and likeness visible is also not following traditions. And then he said, or more specifically how AA has interpreted traditions as applied to modern technology. And so that got into a really interesting discussion um, about the spirit of the traditions and and a lot of what we talked about last week and and breaking anonymity at the public level. And I don't know, I thought it was just super interesting to talk with some people and get some different perspectives. As always, I appreciate everybody's input. Um, You know, even when it doesn't change my mind about where I stand, it makes me question where I stand enough that I know I stand there for a reason and not just, you know, because somebody told it to me 10 years ago.
0: Yeah. Um, And that's one of the great benefits I've gained from recovery and I still struggle with it at times, but, you know, I always felt like I needed to be right and I needed to have all the answers. And if anyone questioned my opinion or the way I thought about things, you know, that that was somehow a challenge to, you know, me and I've, thank God, grown in that area where people can have differences of opinion. We can talk about something and you can see it a different way. And I don't, A, feel a need to cram my opinion down your throat to make you see it my way. And B, I don't necessarily need to change my opinion or feel wrong because someone else disagrees or sees things a different way. You know, it's a great blessing of recovery, really. Yeah, it's it's super cool. It
1: really is. And I remember the first time somebody told me the whole concept of it's more important to understand than to be understood. And mm-hmm. I just thought that was such a, a mind blowing concept that like because my program only talks about me, right? I'm the one that needs to change to change anything in my life, in my program. So I don't need to force other people to understand me. I just need to do my best to understand other people to the best of my ability. Like whether they understand me or not is really none of my goddamn business.
0: Yeah. And there's a freedom that comes with that. Like I, I get the freedom now to kind of just say what I feel like I need to say if I'm engaged in those conversations and then walk away and, and let it go. I don't have to fester it in my head and hang on to it or develop these resentments over some conversation that, you know, turn into an argument, you, you know like those things are a great freedom to be able to have
1: no absolutely absolutely i'm with you so before we get into our topic today one last final thought uh the the pandemic going on globally that has everyone stuck at home that i swore would allow everyone to listen to podcasts uh has actually it seems limited podcast listenership (laughs) um and i can understand why like I thought it would do one thing and now I'm stuck at home with my kids with not much time to myself to listen to things such as podcasts or, or audiobooks or anything. So I get it. Um, for me, they are mar- much better listened to while driving or, or doing a task away from my home. Uh, but even with that going on and, and with listenership down across the board of of podcasts uh, we have hit 2000 listens and I just thought I would like to acknowledge Yay. that with you. And right. That's cool. You know? Uh, and so now we got a text message this week uh, from a friend of ours, Carolyn, and she asked about the clarity statement. So, um, you know, NA has a clarity statement. Uh, AA has a, a pamphlet, I guess, that is similar uh, that talks about how they can only help the alcoholic and and not the drug addict and we have a clarity statement um, and, and so she asked about the clarity statement, saying clean and sober, getting speakers from another fellowship to chair a meeting in this fellowship, uh, blurring the lines between fellowships and so that left us with a topic and I, I kind of at first I, I sort of brushed it off slightly because i I just didn't feel like it was gonna be. I didn't feel like there was much to debate about it. Like in my mind, you can't get a speaker from another fellowship that doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, And so I was like, I don't know what the debate will be. (laughs) Um, But she apparently just had to leave a a home group of hers, you know, that she had forever uh, because they decided you could do that. And I thought, wow, people really. So, okay, let me, let me get real clear. Mm there's small meetings down where I come from near Baltimore that have like the same four people at them every week, nobody else ever really goes. And they're, they're old time, uh, you know, crossover guys who got clean when you had to do both fellowships because there wasn't enough meetings in either fellowship to make it, or at least there wasn't enough in ours. And so they kind of blur the lines incredibly and, and, you know, do whatever they want. And and I've never really cared because nobody else ever goes to the meeting because we all know that that's what that meeting is. It's the blurry lines meeting of NA. Uh, but I didn't think this happened all over the place or that it happened in places where people were, I don't know, more, more practicing recovery, I guess. Mm. So I, I didn't think it was much of a thing but apparently it is and so that's where I think we're at today the clarity statement how we feel about the clarity statement what it really means I I've talked to you about the clarity statement before and you know you were not a big fan of it at that
0: point in time um,
1: so what's up clarity statement should we start reading it first
0: or um yeah so yeah I'm not a big fan fan of the clarity statement either, um of course, like most things, I used to be in the beginning, it was like, yeah, it's great, we gotta rein people in, we gotta you know <sighs> uniformity, you know all that stuff, we all gotta view things from this narrow line if we want to keep it safe and all that, and uh now I'm sort of the other way, I'm like, who gives a shit what people call themselves? I mean, depending on what part of the country you're in and and I think traveling and life experience has shown me. We've traveled to some areas that are similar to what you're talking about, where there are not enough recovering people to support almost one fellowship, let alone two. I mean, we spent some time out in Utah and, uh, you know, there were very few AA meetings. There were no other fellowship meetings at all, like none at all. We actually, while we were in that area, started an NA an meeting. And to get to any other fellowship meeting was like a two hour drive in one wow. direction to get to the closest city um, to have, you know, what I would call, you know, sanctioned, you know, a- <laughs> a, uh, NA meeting. So, you know, yeah, it's easy to make some of these. Glorious claims about how we identify ourselves and what we call ourselves and where our speakers come from when you're in a city with thousands of people and hundreds of meetings. But that is not everyone's experience in this country, let alone in other countries. We're not even talking about other countries where you may have these issues. But just within this country, that's not a reality for some people.
1: Right. Now, I think you make an incredible point that uh, all these arguments that I've had, I've had with people near in around Baltimore City, or at least, you know, even Cecil County, we're we're not a huge area, but we're right between Baltimore and Philly. Um, And so there is a lot of, a lot of places you could go for meetings if you needed to, it's pretty thriving around here. And uh, I have definitely not gotten the perspective of the person in small town, Wisconsin, or, you know, middle of nowhere, Wyoming, uh, on this topic. And I imagine there their take of what NA or AA or any recovery looks like is much, much different than the, you know, whatever 600 or so meetings the Baltimore area has each week.
0: Yeah. And uh, I, th- I think you're right. Maybe I'm, I'll step back a minute and say, maybe we should explain or maybe read the clarity statement, but yeah. You know, so within these fellowships for people that aren't really intimately familiar with the different fellowships, you know, AA came along and they identified, you know, the alcoholic as being a really sort of specific individual that struggles with alcohol. Um, and that they didn't feel like their fellowship, uh, at the time and even now is open to, um, drug addicts or people with other addiction issues. And so they really try to keep their focus specifically on alcohol and alcohol addiction. And then, so as in NA, um, They've come up with a a similar principle, philosophy, I guess you would call it, that, you know, we are specifically focused around addiction. Um, And even though we want to use the – and this is where I'll do a little bashing. We want to use the term addiction, but then within our fellowship, we really limit it to drug addiction because we don't want you to come in and talk about a lot of your other addictions. A lot of people feel like that's an outside issue, but we want to capture that word addiction – and take ownership of that but then not really be open to all addicts of all kinds at all times. So that's my little bit of you know bashing there. But then we have our uh, clarity statement. Do you have it up or? I do, but why don't okay. we take our little break for the voices ad okay. real quick and then we'll come right back. This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope Inc, a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause.
1: All right. Welcome back. And so, yeah, here's the clarity statement that we have uh, somehow come up with. It's mostly taken out of a bulletin, I believe. And it says, we are presented with a dilemma when NA members identify themselves as addicts and alcoholics or talk about living clean and sober. The clarity of the NA message is blurred. To speak in this manner suggests that there are two diseases that one drug is somehow separate from the rest, requiring special recognition. Narcotics Anonymous makes no distinction between drugs. Our identification as addicts is all-inclusive, which allows us to concentrate on our similarities, not our differences. Yeah. So, I, I mean, look, uh, a lot of times when I've heard this read in a meeting before I've really done a whole lot of looking into it, I, I, I do get it. I do get where it would be confusing to say uh, I'm clean and sober, right? That that says that I'm two different things and I could possibly be one and not the other at different points in time. Uh, it says that, you know, if I'm an addict and alcoholic, that I have two different problems, right? That I could be working on one and not the other. Um, I, I I remember, and I don't know, maybe this truly has happened. Maybe it hasn't. I remember early on when I had kind of the the NA policeman as my sponsor, uh, he would talk about how people in AA would stop drinking, but they were still snorting Coke every weekend or something. Like, I don't even know if that really- Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's
0: still true. but. But, (laughs) But,
1: you know, that to me embodies the whole concept of addiction and alcoholism as two separate entities. And if you say I'm an addict, which is all inclusive for all mind and mood altering chemicals, then- you're really being redundant. Like, should I say uh, I, I'd i struggle with addiction, alcoholism, uh, cocaine addiction, heroin addiction, you know, marijuana addiction? Like, do I need to list all of them each time? Or, or I don't know. So it makes sense, I guess, is what I'm getting at. The clarity statement does make sense, that it's does not make sense to do that, to call yourself those things.
0: So just to give a little bit of history of where these uh, – these bulletins come from these service bulletins. They come from our world board of trustees. It's a letter or, you know, whatever bulletin written by them. Um, I have heard, and I don't know how true this is, but the, the consensus of conversation is that particular statement was uh, indicative of basically one primary member on the board at the time that that was written. Hmm. And that, you know, that is not like fellowship approved literature. It's never been put out for review and input. It's never been put out as a uh, piece of, of formal literature that's supposed to be available to groups, uh, whether at the level of service or within home groups. Um, So it really is just the opinion of the board of trustees at the time. So it is definitely not the, uh, expressed conscience of the NA fellowship. So, you know, whether groups can decide that that's in their conscience, I, I don't know. Um, that would be, No, with I'm there. with you, but I'm with you. It's
1: like me and you putting out uh, bulletins.
0: <laughs> right. Right. We decided that this is the way we look at this and we think, and that's what groups do within their thing all the time. So where it comes uh, into relevance for, again, my home group is, You know is that is that a violation of any kind of traditions to read it is it a violation of any kind of traditions if people identify themselves as addicts and alcoholics do we have some responsibility to do anything about that if people do those things um and of course for me it all comes back to intention and i think absolutely not like what do i care what people call themselves um we depending on what area of the country you live in, they call different things, you know, they use different language for different things anyway. You know, in some areas of the country, they call it soda. In other areas, they call it pop, you know. Um, And, you know, so words like that, when you get into clean or clean and sober or sober, you know, your understanding or general understanding of that word um, can be different depending on which geographic area you come from. A bigger argument of mine has to do with a lot of people that come out of uh, treatment centers or that are coming in new into the recovery community. Maybe they've been through treatment through a local health department or a private, you know, rehabilitation center. Um, They aren't very good at explaining to people these little nuancey bullshit things that matter. So, you know, they're in this, Rehab, and they're told they go to these alcohol meetings this day, and these drug meetings that day, and you know they're told in the you know scientific literature, there's a lot of different names for you know opioid use disorder. I mean, it's it's singled out, you know, just in opioids is its own addiction. You might have an issue with gambling. You might have an issue with sex. You might have this, you know, er different struggles that you have with addiction and in treatment centers or jail or you know these rehabs um, they don't explain all these little dumb nuancey things so brand new people come out and identify themselves some way and we start telling them they're wrong you know it's it's very off-putting to me
1: yeah I mean so I can kind of understand it so I remember reading and this was quite a while back and I don't remember the exact language of any of it but there's the, the AA pamphlet that talks about why, they can't help us, you know, uh, uh, or they can't help drug addicts per se. And, and so I was kind of offended when I first read it. I was like, these jerks, they're only worried about themselves, right? Like, of course they're excluding us all the more reason to, to hate them. And then I read it and I was like, this pamphlet makes absolute golden logical sense. If you go into, if you could walk into an AA meeting and refer to yourself as a, as an addict, you know, I'm an addict named Jason, I'm an addict named Billy. Uh, And then they don't say anything about it and that's okay. And then, you know, the next meeting, a couple other people who, who feel more like addicts than alcoholics start calling themselves that. And then at some point in time in the future, an alcoholic, a guy who's only ever drank alcohol is going to walk into a meeting of AA And is going to hear a bunch of people refer to themselves as addicts and talk about uh, being clean and talk about, you know, maybe using drugs in ways that aren't drinking alcohol at your local bar. Uh, And he's not going to be able to identify and he's not going to get the help he needs. He's never going to hit another meeting because he didn't hear what he came to hear, which was people like him. And so it made a lot of sense why they say hey, we're sober here, we're alcoholics only, we can't help other people beyond that. This is our primary purpose. And if we try to help too many people with too much stuff, even though our program probably could, because the 12 steps work for everything. If we were to try to do that, we will lose the member we were here, we started to serve. And so I I really understood that principle of it is that, you know, they have a primary purpose. And so do we. And so I, I get where The clarity statement comes from that if we start to lose or confuse how we call ourselves we can confuse the message to some extent
0: yeah but you're so that's similar to saying if we have well let me back up for a minute okay so yes i think that happens people identify themselves as addicts and alcoholics or they talk about just alcohol or whatever like it happens um I have yet to be in a meeting where that is, and I've been to meetings all over the country, including meetings where they only have, you know, very limited meetings. And I've never been in a meeting where all everyone talks about is alcohol and identifies themselves as alcoholics. And, you know, it's like we we worry so much about this extreme case that our message of Narcotics Anonymous is going to be totally blurred within a meeting that we don't look at you know, the potential negative impact of the way that that can isolate or exclude people. You know, and and I guess what I mean is, as experienced members, I am not going to go into a meeting anywhere ever and identify myself as an addict and alcoholic or talk about living clean and sober or any of those things. And it doesn't matter if they read the clarity statement or not. Like, I understand (laughs) the program of Narcotics Anonymous, now that I've been around a while, Um, I have been to again to areas where they only have AA meetings when I go to those meetings I have so this will get sort of more I think into the heart of this discussion yeah so when I I have been to AA meetings because again we've been in areas where that's the only meetings that they are am I not supposed to fucking say anything because I'm not a member of Alcoholics Anonymous am I not allowed to share my experience strength and hope in my process of 12-step recovery because it's only ever been based on the Narcotics Anonymous program. I mean, I've been in these rooms. So when I have been to meetings, I can tell you I have shared. Um, I can tell you that I, as much as I understand to the depth that I understand that language, I try to identify and uh, use the correct verbiage as far as calling myself an alcoholic and talk about being sober. I'm sure I messed it up at times because it's just so foreign to me to identify in a different way, but I try to follow those things. But does that really mean that all my experience with the 12 steps is irrelevant because I don't have experience with that specific fellowship? And, and
1: so this is where it gets interesting. Uh, Am I blurring I, their message? You know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Are you like, I? so, okay. So far what I've, you know, just tried to to lay out and get across is that I do understand the logic behind the clarity statement. Like I do get that we could confuse it. And my argument for why you have never encountered a meeting where they only talked about alcohol
0: is because we have a clarity statement. (laughs) So they've done their job. No, I don't know. Uh, Yeah. It's not very big in this area. There are a few meetings that read it, but
1: not a lot. I guess for me, I just get the point, right? I get the point that that it does sound like there's two different problems when our belief is that there is one problem. Um, And so I I get why it doesn't make sense. Being in the online community, uh, it's much more freely. They say what the fuck ever. They don't really care for the most Mm -hmm. part. Uh, They're clean and sober, and, and I will quickly identify as clean and sober and not give a shit. Because I am both of those things, even if they are separate, which I don't think they are. But, but I still am, if you want to call them separate. Uh, I think it's just kind of catchy to say, honestly. Clean and sober sounds nice. Right? <laughs> right. Got a ring to it. Uh, so I went to an Al-Anon fellowship uh, for a while. So I went to some of their meetings. And I personally love it. I, I highly identify with a lot of what they talk about. Um, here's the problem. I don't necessarily have an alcoholic, uh, I don't have a qualifying alcoholic. Uh, I have some, some, you know, what I would call para alcoholics, uh, people with all the same characteristics and personality traits and disorders, but not the alcohol. Mm -hmm. And so I never chose to share at those meetings as, as much as I got out of them, I chose to avoid sharing because I sort of questioned, do I qualify to be here to some extent? Um, I don't know. I, 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 so when I get a, a speaker for an NA meeting, I expect them to share their experience, strength, and hope in working the NA program. And so even if they worked the 12 steps and had a great understanding and could respect my program's, you know, wording, uh, if they're from a different fellowship, I kind of feel like that. They don't have experience working the NA program. They don't have experience to share about how the NA program worked for them. And so that's where I get a little confused. Is is that okay? I mean, it's probably a great 12-step message if they've worked the 12 steps, but is it okay because it's not their experience with the program I'm, uh, people are attending?
0: So maybe you would... Well, let me say this question first. Okay. We see all the time in meetings where people identify themselves as, you know, I'm a crackhead, you know, my drug of choice was this, my, you know, when I was using, you know, I used this drug or in that way or whatever. I mean, I guess I would say what's the difference? Like you no. So to to speak to that, what,
1: what I didn't realize about this clarity statement and in reading the bulletin, uh, which is, let me not get yeah, it wrong. It says there, in there, bulletin dude. 13. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Their purpose wasn't just to loop not fiend. Identify, says as don't identify as dope being <laughs> Right. Right. So I think what they're saying is all of these manifestations of referring to ourselves as something other than just addicts. Uh, anytime we make it drug specific, we do blur the message. If you go into a meeting and everybody shares about their heroin use and you smoke crack, you're not going to compare in possibly. I mean, you could, it could be a very similar feeling that you can compare into, but early on, I didn't compare so much to the feeling. I don't think I compared to what I heard, like the message itself. And so I needed to hear similar type stories. Now, granted the, the, type of addict i was i guess uh almost any story hit some part of my story because i did a whole lot of different things at different points but uh, yeah they're saying don't be any specific language and, and so for me this ties into you know all-inclusive i don't like when people refer to themselves as anything other than just an addict right i've heard the i'm a recovering addict name this and then yeah Well, now the the newcomers, the grateful recovering addict, the human garbage can, uh, you know, all these different manifestations of introducing ourselves. when really, if I got two days clean, oh, shit, am I as good as him? Am I a recovering addict or am I just an addict? Like, we're all supposed to be equal. I'm just an addict named Jason. I'm not a grateful recovering addict. I'm not a human garbage can. I'm not a dope fiend named Jason. I'm just an addict named Jason. right. So, yeah, I would argue, I would agree with your statement. Yes, they all matter. We should just all be addicts.
0: Okay. And then, so, what happens um, for, or or how would you think of people that maybe go to both fellowships, or go to more than one fellowship? Maybe they have sponsors from both fellowships. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we know people. I know people that oh, you know, yeah. I go to three different fellowships. I have three different sponsors. <laughs> Um, are they qualified to share at a meeting? <laughs> you know?
1: so, yeah, no, I, I think I think you're right. Uh, I, for the longest time, I was against the whole go into both fellowships. And when I say both, of course, I mean the big two. Um, I said, that's a terrible idea. You want to go and become accountable and recognizable in one. Um, I, I've definitely changed my opinion on that. You do whatever works for you. I think you get one sponsor. I don't care how many fellowships you're in personally. I think one sponsor is probably what you need to work with. Um, I, that being said, I had two sponsors for a period of time um, in two different fellowships, but I was only working with one at a time, I guess. Um, but yeah, what if, you, what if you love the the AA meetings in your area? But you know, you're an addict, and so you have an NA sponsor and you work NA steps, but you just hit the AA meetings. Like <laughs> that right. blurs the shit out of the line. What program are right. you working, really? Like what can yeah, you the
0: percentage of what you know came from <laughs> place, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think some of these things we get, you know, to again, drawn these lines, and, and it gets back to a lot of these other discussions we have. Like it's great that we can sort of set, um, I'm going to call it set a set a bar, try to set a general standard for things. But but when we try to do this, you know, these are the rules and we're going to enforce them and we're going to become the, you know, NA police. Like, I think that stuff gets really dangerous Um, and not necessarily for us. It gets dangerous for, you know, newcomers or pushing people away or really, you know, violating the spirit of what we're doing here you know it's that any addict can find recovery here does that mean if you're only an alcoholic you shouldn't come here no not at all come please you know we want addicts to come and get what they need here and people that only have a problem with alcohol can come here and find what they need and to me personally i don't give a shit what you call yourself call yourself whatever you want just keep coming let me help you You know, if I become your sponsor, we'll work on that shit. We'll fix it over some time. You know, (laughs) We'll get it it straightened out. But again, that's in this area where we have lots of meetings from different fellowships and lots of options. I mean, when we were out in Utah and it's on Tuesday, you know, you're going to the AA fellowship. And then Wednesday or Thursday, you're going to the NA meeting. And that's all the fucking meetings you're getting to, Um, you know. You couldn't find an N.A. sponsor. My wife and I were the only N.A. people that had only N.A. experience. No one else. They were like, wow, that's amazing. Like you guys really just got all your recovery in N.A. That, you know, out there that was just totally foreign and no one even understood how that could happen. (laughs) Oh, my God. Where is this
1: at? I feel like I'll be a king out there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Utah. Southern Utah. Moving Um, to Utah. You know, so there was a lot of blurred lines and a lot of blurred message and, you know, truthfully, so just to share a little bit about like yesterday, I spent the day around the house doing some things and I started since we were kind of talking a little bit about this earlier in the week, I started listening to some, some history stuff and was listening to uh, Jimmy Kay, who's the one of the founding members of Narcotics Anonymous Um started back in 1953 and he was sharing some history and stuff. And so he came out to a world convention. I don't remember exactly what year it was. It was in New York, Um, but he was sharing at the world convention. And as a founder of narcotics anonymous, like he came out and identified himself as an addict and alcoholic at the world convention. (laughs) And then went on to say that he was a proud member of alcoholics anonymous. And now, you know, and also, proud member of now narcotics anonymous. And at the time it's because, you know, narcotics anonymous was still fairly new. Um, it was still, you know, gaining its sort of legs or, or roots or whatever you want to call it. And that, you know, he, his experience with the 12 steps and the traditions and the fellowship all came from, you know, alcoholics anonymous. And for him, it was done in an incredibly, uh, grateful and respectful way. He he paid homage to, you know, the people from AA that helped start NA and, you know, them allowing us to adapt and, and you know, take the traditions and the steps to form this new fellowship and, you know, their help in doing those things. Um, so again, I, I don't quite understand it, it just feels like there's animosity in that clarity statement to me. Maybe I'm reading a little deeper into it than its intention, but it feels like there's animosity. You
1: know? That's interesting because uh, in the in the bulletin itself, it really goes in to talk about how people are using the stance of, of you know, keeping to N.A. specific language to hate on A.A., and the bulletin talks about how that's not the point of it. That's not the purpose of it. Please stop doing that. That's like we should, we should not be hating on AA. Like we need everybody in the spirit of recovery to move forward to help as many people as possible. And so I don't know. I, I felt like the bulletin clarified pretty specifically that that was people should need to stop doing that kind of stuff with it. But it, it is important. And so one of the one of the quotes I did pull out. Quotes like this always make me question myself. Uh, It says, at first glance, this seems minor, but our experience clearly shows that the full impact of the NA message is crippled by this subtle semantic confusion. And so when it tells me that, like, hey, it's possible at first glance, you're not going to think this is a big deal, but we're telling you from our experience that we found out it was. I say, well, shit. Here I am sitting here thinking it's not a big deal. Are they talking to me? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. did they did they see me coming? Right, like so. I I've tried to pull back and really look into. I'm like, is this a bigger deal than I think it is? I I, I don't know. And I I I agree with what we've said today. Like, I agree that it it shouldn't be of utmost importance. But I I also think it's kind of serious to some extent. Maybe not serious like we should bash people and kick them out of our meetings, obviously, but. Okay, so let me, let me say this. I was in a home group, and this was years back, uh, and, and a friend of mine, Bobby, I love her to death, uh, still talk to her today, even though we don't live anywhere near each other anymore. We had the, the good old saying, if you have any drugs or paraphernalia, please take it outside and bury it before it buries you, or take it outside and get rid of it before you, you know, trash it or stash it and come back in, or whatever we said about it at that time. And I made a motion in Group Conscience to remove that from our prologue. I said, this is stupid. I've been here years. Nobody ever takes their shit outside and comes back. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't. I surely would not take my, I, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. Why do we read this? Right. And her response was, we read it because we're serious about our recovery. She's like, it doesn't matter if people actually do it or not. The point is, we're letting people know that this matters to us and we're serious about it. And that has stuck with me for, I don't know, Christ, probably 13 years now since she said it. And I'm like, it makes sense. It doesn't really matter what the reaction is or if people follow it. It's not harmful to read it to let people know that we are serious. Like, this matters to us. And so from that standpoint, I say, is it harmful to read the clarity statement and let people know that, like, this is what we're hoping for? We're hoping to only identify as addicts here because that's what we want to let people know is that we're not drug specific. We'll help anybody that struggles with any drug problem.
0: So I would say, I guess in a day and age of oversensitivity and, you know, this total, uh, trying to never offend anybody, probably I would say yes, that I think it can be, um, maybe not offensive, but it can be confusing and a little uh, uh, off-putting to, again, to people coming out of treatment who have been in treatment and are all proud of, you know, I got 30 days, you know, drug and alcohol free, or, you know, I'm an addict and alcoholic because I drink and do drugs. Like, they don't understand these, like, weird, nuancy things that we as experienced members, you know, feel so righteous to defend, you know, like they don't get any of that shit. Like, and it, it, you know, the truth is in my first 30, 60 or 90 days, I don't know that any of that mattered. Um, I didn't have a fucking working knowledge or understanding of the steps and the traditions anyway. So, you know, as I work and gain this understanding and knowledge of the traditions and of the steps, um, I incorporate them into my life and then those words go away on their own. Like I don't need someone to, to tell me how to identify. I don't need to, to tell someone, you know, how they need to think and how they need to, you know, see themselves, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I'd say it, it can be. I guess I'm looking at it from the perspective of anything that I can do to make people feel welcome And encouraged to come and invite them to come just sit down, feel at home here, give us a shot. You know, take this opportunity to give yourself a break. You know, like I want it to be inviting and welcoming and warm and encouraging of people to come back. Um, And I don't want to create an atmosphere where it feels like, well, we only want you if you're going to call yourself this. We only want you if your problem is this. We only want to hear from you. If you identify this way, like, I don't like that attitude. So I, I'm just
1: thinking here and I'm pretty sure I, I can't be totally certain. Cause I forget a lot of shit, but I'm pretty sure that I, while I've heard this statement read many, many times at meetings, I have never seen anyone because it never fails. As soon as you read it, somebody doesn't follow it during that meeting. Yeah, sure. right.
0: Take care, yeah.
1: <laughs> I have never heard anyone heard cut off <laughs> possibly, but I've never heard anybody cut off, right? I've never heard anybody. I've never heard a secretary or a home group member stand up and say, Hey, we read the clarity statement. We don't fucking do that here. Like you don't, don't share anymore. Or nobody ever stopped anybody and corrected them. So it's like, I feel like we read this, uh, and and po- probably most people aren't fucking listening anyway, because, you know, it's that's texting time while we're reading our, our prologue yeah. stuff. Uh, but I feel like we read it to tell people we're serious and, and we're welcoming in the fact that we don't shut people down. We, we allow them to share. And then hopefully, you know, an experienced member after the meeting is saying, hey, I heard you share, you know, and then maybe getting into the point of why we don't do that at some point in time in their future conversation.
0: But I don't think that's going to be exactly my point is I've never heard anybody shut down, but I've definitely heard people cross share at them, you know, after they shared kind of cross sharing how, you know, in this fellowship, we have one disease and we, you know, one fellowship for one problem, whatever the fuck those stupid sayings are that we like to say when we're trying to correct people in our nice, subtle, unsubtle way. Right. And I've heard exactly what you just said is some experienced member coming up to some fucking newcomer after the meeting to correct them on what they did wrong in the meeting. And both of those things, I think, are equally off putting. If you're not that fucking person's sponsor and you're not they're not asking for your opinion, I don't know that it's needed. <laughs>
1: Well, and that's why I worded it the way I did. Like I would hope you would just go up and start conversation and recognize that they're a newer member and they don't understand the tradition yet. And then at some point in time, maybe later that night, if you take them to a diner and you're having a good talk, maybe three weeks from now, if you're still talking to them at some point in time in your future of your conversation. Oh, yeah. Well,
0: that's you would, different. Yes.
1: <clears throat> yeah. That's kind of why I said it that way. I don't think you should just run up and be like, hey, this is why you don't do that, motherfucker. Well, I have
0: heard that, too. Like, right <laughs> after the meeting, someone goes up and says, hey, you know, we don't identify here. There's another fellowship if you want to identify yourself as that. And, I, I mean, I've seen those things happen. Like, say, during right. a meeting in, like, a cross share, or after a meeting, someone come up to someone and say, we don't do that here at this fellowship. You know, this is the way we do it. And uh, to me, both of those are equally off-putting. It is very different if you're, you know, you've developed a rapport or a relationship with somebody, and over time, these ideas get talked about or expressed. Um, that's and so. Yeah.
1: You bring up an interesting point, or at least it brings up an interesting point in my head when we talked about special interest meetings. You said there wasn't the problem with the meetings themselves, and if people were you know, perverting them and telling other members they couldn't come because of their, their, you know, sex or gender. That was on the members problem. That wasn't a problem with the special interest meetings themselves. And so that would tell me that there's not really a problem with the clarity statement being read itself. It's just the members perverting it to cross share or correct people after the meeting. It's not that like, because we read the clarity statement, that's the problem. The problem is more in how the people
0: are perverting the statement. Well, I would, I mean, I guess I would agree. Yeah, Yeah. it's the people's interpretation of that clarity statement that creates the problem. It's not the statement in and of itself. Um, unless, like, say, you can make the argument that the whole statement itself is a violation of our traditions, which if you go online <laughs> enough, you'll feel there's a bunch of people that feel that it is for different reasons that they feel like that clarity statement is actually a violation of our traditions. But You know, I don't know that I necessarily agree with all that, but that argument is out there. Um, I can point you to some pages if you want to go read boring nonsense. (laughs) But uh, I already disagree. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's definitely the interpretation and how that stuff is applied. But it's like if you read that as a statement in a meeting, you know, it's almost like you're applying that that is the viewpoint of the fellowship as a whole like that that's the way that our fellowship looks at this. And I don't know that that's necessarily true.
1: Hmm. I don't know. I'd have to say this almost, it feels a little like in one situation you're expecting people to apply it right. I don't know. That, that just felt a little backwards to me. I would say I agree. It's not conference approved literature, right? Like I don't think we all voted on saying it's okay, but because no home group's prologue is conference approved either, and they can say whatever the hell they want. Uh, that would that would, to me, state that it's not against traditions. I don't. I don't want to spend too much time on worrying about the special interest meetings discussion.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, and I would say again, for me, most of the time, I don't look at things as black or white, or this is this way, and this needs to be applied in this way. All the time, I'm going to dig myself out of this hole that. You feel like- <laughs> confused, <laughs> but that's okay because I, again it goes back to intention. And the intention becomes what do I think is the action that's gonna cause the least amount of harm? Or how can I go through with with offending the least amount of people or harming the least amount of people or, you know, not being so self righteous on rules to where I have to, you know, create a rule and then I have to stick with this rule even if it's gonna cause harm to someone else. So You know, how I apply these principles in my life, a lot of times, one of the very high values that I put on there is, is this offensive? Is this harmful? Is it off-putting to people? Like, if it is, I need to tread lightly before I proceed. Doesn't mean I'm going to immediately throw it out the window, because sometimes there are some things that I need to say to people that might be a little bit offensive, you know, um but I'm going to tread a little more lightly into that area. And like, say, when we read a statement, like the clarity statement in the beginning of a meeting, and I'm not even saying that meetings don't have the uh, autonomy to do that. I mean, I guess you can, you can read whatever you want to read in the beginning of your meeting. You don't have to read anything. If you don't want to read anything, you can show up and say, this is an NA meeting. We talk about recovery for the 12 steps. The meetings open if you want. You know what I mean? There's no guidelines to any of this format or any of that stuff. Obviously, we've sort of have a format that everybody sort of follows. Um, Like, say, in my home group, we've chucked some of that out the window, partially for the sake of just chucking it out the window to be like, we don't have to do what the fuck the rest of you people do. We can do whatever we want. So we don't read the traditions. You know, I don't know why that. Thank God. It originally started out with we only read like two of the readings and slowly the other ones keep getting added back in over time. I don't know why, but we used to only read who is an addict and why are we here? And that's all we would read. And then we would get into the meeting. And the, the consensus back then was, you know, as people come around and, and they keep coming back you know they'll begin to understand you know what the program is and the traditions and all that stuff we can get into all the nuancey bullshit later you know right now like if you're a new person and you're here welcome this is what we do here we're here to help people with addiction problem all this other shit doesn't matter don't worry about what work you got to do and fucking getting a sponsor and reading all these books and fucking understanding all these traditions like none of that matters right now right now just stop using drugs just come in show up And let us help you. And, you know, that's that's what we're here for. And so I think as we add these more readings and a little more rules and we start putting these conditions on it. Oh, and by the way, uh, don't call yourself an alcoholic because then you're violating our traditions. And don't talk about being clean and sober because that's a little confusing. Like, wait, what? <laughs> you know? Wait. So I'm totally in
1: agreement with less readings, the better uh, at the beginning of the meeting. So thank God for that. I, I, as soon as your home group cuts out more of them, I might come back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will say, uh, I don't know. I think I think you're treading on something here about not being offensive. I agree, not being offensive. And I don't personally think, I don't personally think reading the clarity statement in the before the meeting or, or during the beginning of the meeting is offensive in itself. Right. I think some of the other ways you mentioned people uh, uh, n- letting people know that they didn't listen to it. That's pretty offensive. The cross sharing, the pulling people up after the meeting could be, you know, abrasive and and not welcoming. Um, but I don't think the statement read in itself. I think that's, it's a clarifying statement. Like this is what we do here. Right. Um, Uh, What about the meeting that says, uh, if you've used today, please refrain from sharing, because I hear that in quite a few meetings. And I definitely Mm. believe it's a useful clarification of we don't want you to confuse our message while you're high. Uh, That's going to offend some people, too. But it's still necessary to be read because it's part of what maybe it's not necessary, but it's still something I (laughs) believe is useful to be read because it's it's a clarity of our program and our message like. How, what's your thoughts on that? Take that out
0: too. Yeah, I would get rid of that too. Ooh. Obviously we've had it happen. We had just a few weeks ago, we had a guy come into our home group and talk all about methadone for fucking 10 minutes, you know, and awkward and weird, you know, cause we don't, you know, that's not what we do here. Um, and nobody and said anything. Uh, we had to talk about it afterwards. Um, and, the, you know, we were going to try to talk to them, like if they came back and, you know, we would try to talk to him maybe before the meeting or maybe because it wasn't like he hung out with everybody afterwards. Anyway, he came in during the meeting, shared what he had to share about being on his, you know, maintenance program and how great it was going for his life and all this other stuff. And then he left, you know, right after the meeting. Right, And so, you know, and it was awkward. It took us all aback. You know, none of us. We're not used to that, hearing that a lot. And so the next week. You know, a lot of us home group members get there early. We kind of were all there and we kind of talked about it. We said, hey, you know, this came up. This guy said he's coming back. You know, what do we fucking want to do about that? Do we want to, like, shut him down? Do we want to not shut him down? Do we want to, you know, whatever? And my opinion was, you know what? Let's just see if he keeps coming back. And then if he keeps coming back, we'll have a conversation before the meeting or after the meeting or or whatever. But uh, he never came back you know, so it, it worked itself out in, to use, you know, the common in, in God's time, it worked itself out and we didn't yeah. have to be action. but it wasn't that we weren't going to address it, but at the same time, you know, to me, like it's more important that we encourage that person to keep coming back to get the message of what Narcotics Anonymous, said is, Narcotics Anonymous is. And it's more important that we, uh, be welcoming and open to the addict who's suffering, you know, than it is to drill home what the point of our program is, you know, to someone that's new.
1: Uh, And so I guess for me, I I would have to, you know, uh, lovingly disagree on this one for sure. Um, And and maybe in, in the atmosphere of your home group where there's eight to 10 guys, you guys all have some years and some time in the program and you're more seasoned members and you all know that that's not what the NA program is about, maybe it doesn't do that much harm in your meeting. Um, Coming from some of the meetings I come from in the Baltimore area, where it's full of recovery houses, you have 45 people in the meeting that have less than six months and are barely any understanding of NA or what the rules are or how we stay clean or how any of it works. Um, Somebody being allowed to share about that for 10 minutes of the meeting could send five to 10 of those people out the door with the understanding of, damn, maybe, maybe methadone is all right. And you still get to stay clean. Like, and I don't know, right? I I don't, I know, I knew way less about NA when I first got here than I do now. So looking from my perspective now, I say, that's crazy. Nobody would believe that. But early on, if that's what I'd heard at my first meeting or two, I might've thought that was okay. And so I would say that person needs to be lovingly uh, shut down immediately, right? And I think there are ways to compassionately and kindly and welcomingly set boundaries. It's kind of like the whole concept of how your kids will actually love you more if you set rules and boundaries for them than they will if you don't, because they love that kind of safety, right? It's the same thing. When I lovingly set a boundary, I'm actually inviting more connection with that person than I would be if I let them do the wrong thing uh, or, or the thing that's contrary to being helpful. And so I would... I would disagree. I would say we run more the risk of having newer members, at least in particular meetings where it's a high volume of new members frequently. You're running the risk of people going out and dying with misinformation more than you are the the risk of offending one person. And so that, that, I don't know. I don't know. I definitely think I have a different stance on that.
0: So in general, then, do you feel like what one person may or may not share during a meeting can, I guess, contradict, overpower, overrun, whatever the general consensus of the meeting is. Like, I mean, our home group obviously doesn't share that point of view. It's not like five members of the home group share that, or non-members of the home group for that matter, or that we exclude readings that make that point. I mean, and I guess where I'm going with that is, hear all kinds of people come in and say all kinds of shit all the time about what they read in the bible and what they read out of this book and that book and you know how they apply this step in their life which you know in my opinion is totally fucking wrong you know how they're making amends before they've even done an eighth step or ninth step you know with a sponsor and they're making amends to their fucking dying grandmother in some terrible way you know like we hear all of those things (laughs) so you know what i mean like you can't i guess you know to me it's like yeah people say terrible shit in meetings all the time (laughs) and so yes we as experienced members and again we as a home group i'll I'll justify by saying we didn't think it was okay we weren't like oh this is fine like everybody was kind of like whoa, wait a minute. You know what I mean? Like it just, it doesn't happen here a lot. So we were called a little bit off guard and I wasn't actually there. So I only got, it happened to be a week. I wasn't there. So I didn't hear exactly what this person said. I got the sort of cliff notes. Um, but then they appointed me to be the one to try to talk to them later. So they're like, if they show up this week, you got to try to talk to them because <laughs> I guess they figured I'd probably be someone who could try to do it in a loving and caring way. Um, but the truth is if I was there, I would not have shut them down. I, they would have Mm. shared whatever they were going to share. And then I might've shared afterwards if I hadn't shared already and said, you know, my sorta, I hate to say cross sharing, but my, you know, try to correct, let's try to fucking correct this back to what Narcotics Anonymous is about. Not just someone's vague opinions on what they think recovery is. But again, (laughs) You know, we get all kinds of bad information in meetings all the time. We have people call it, identify themselves as all kinds of things all the time. And and I don't think understanding the program or having things like the clarity statement, like the truth is the wording of the clarity statement, I agree with everything that it says 100%. I also would say that if I am on a service board or if I am involved in a service committee, like an H&I person, or, you know, taking meetings into fellowships, you know, into outside institutions, um, that that is critically important for that role of service for Narcotics Anonymous. You know what I mean? Like if, if I'm taking a meeting into a jail or into a rehab, I want to make sure that my speakers are very clear about what the Narcotics Anonymous program is, um, what our fellowship is, what we represent, you know, because that's the role of that, but in a general open meeting that's open to people that aren't even identifying themselves as alcoholics. I mean, yeah, aren't even identifying themselves as addicts per se. Um, I don't know that stressing that point is the most important thing. I mean, I just think that's a that's a there's a better way to address those issues than to you know put it into the format of a meeting. Or to make it, you know, our job as a home group to police language.
1: Yeah, I had so many thoughts. I, I was thinking, <laughs> I had to laugh in there. I just got this really awful picture of how people were making amends to their dead grandmothers, and it was, <laughs> uh, I will, I will spare you all what I was thinking for sure. It was pretty gross. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I know in my old home group we read. Um, you know, if you were on a maintenance program or have used today, welcome. We appreciate that you're here. We love it. We, we welcome you with open arms, but we ask that you not, you know, you refrain from sharing today. Um, and if you do share, and one of the first things you say is uh, I use today in some way, shape or form, we will ask you to stop. Like that's just part of our rules. And I think at that home group where there is 55 people every week and you know, most, most have less than six months and there's probably on any given week, 15 members I've never seen before, which means they've come around in the last six days. Uh, I think it's our responsibility to to do that. Yeah, I, I don't, I agree. People share nonsense all the time, but it's not, I don't, maybe it is life-threatening. I don't know. It doesn't seem as life-threatening nonsense. Like these people could go out after the meeting tonight and decide that they can get on maintenance tomorrow. So let me use one more time. Like, to me, that seems pretty immediate and urgent. If you're making amends to grandma's in the wrong way, uh, that, (laughs) that might bring you some shame and guilt that makes you want to use one day, but it doesn't seem as urgent. And, And I guess, uh, I guess that's like really warping. Like we have a very clear definition of what clean is. Well, Seemingly clear, it really isn't that clear in the long run,
0: but it seems clear early on. Um, See, and I, I'm holding my pinky because I got a point to make exactly about that. <laughs> so I just, I, I think it's
1: important uh, to, to you know, that we follow whatever guidelines our home group has established, and that one to me is an important one in an area where you're constantly dealing with new people who could be confused about that, right? In your home group, it's probably not that big of a deal. I don't think anybody's going to be confused about, you know, what NA means about being clean and and what the requirements for membership are or or what they need to do to, you know, keep thriving in their life. At my old home group, I think that was an important thing, and people did need to be shut down.
0: Yeah, and that's what's really awesome about the autonomy of the program. And, see, that's exactly why I think the less, you know, quote-unquote rules – and the less guidelines and the less structure we put try to put on these things as a fellowship, the better, um, the home groups, you know, and the individual groups get to decide how they can best serve their immediate community based on, you know, their experience. And like, say in the case of something like, um, You know, getting back to the clarity statement, I mean, in an area like say out in, you know, bumfuck nowhere, the middle of Utah, we've had the same experience in Arizona. We had the same experience up in uh, Montana, up in the mountains in Montana was the same. Like there wasn't enough for multiple fellowships and you couldn't go to all these places like in those areas. that Clarity statement really could go out the window because, you know, they don't have. The amount of resources that we have in other areas so i think when we get into trying to adopt some of these principles or policies you know and like push them out on this fellowship as a whole mentality and get away from basically just the guidelines of the traditions you know we start getting into some really hairy areas okay have- no and and i i could totally understand
1: that so Just some kind of wrap-up questions. Uh, Is it okay for AA to have the belief you should not share or not call yourself an addict, not share about drugs? Is it okay for them to believe that is right for their meetings? Do you think that's cool for them but not for us, I guess is what I'm asking.
0: Oh, no. I I mean, I don't – so – here, So I guess I'll answer your question this way. When I go to any other outside fellowship, I try to respect their traditions and identify myself as the way that they want me to. Uh, with that being said, if I went in and called myself an addict or alcoholic or accidentally called myself an addict or accidentally said clean instead of sober and some asshole came up and yelled at me, I would not feel like he was representative of the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous as I know it. Or of, I do know, you know, again, not as close around here, but in other areas, I have been, you know, closer with people in Alcoholics Anonymous who have an experience, you know, in that fellowship that view a lot of that a different way. So if I saw someone policing that in the way that I see it policed in NA, that guy's an asshole. (laughs) I don't know I have a, if that really answers your question, but yeah.
1: Well, my understanding has always been that if you start talking in, in the majority, and I this could be a very wrong misunderstanding, but my understanding was in the majority of AA meetings, if you started talking about drugs, they just stopped you right there in the middle of the meeting. They cut
0: you off yeah. and said, "This." Is I mean, not that's okay. not been my experience, and I've been to—I wouldn't say a lot of AA meetings, but I've been to at least a couple dozen. And no one's ever shut me down for using the wrong language. And again, I try not to, but I have. And I have never been in a meeting where I have heard someone who's a, you know, alcoholic and addict be shut down. You know, it's so it's something I've seen, but I don't have that much experience in that fellowship either. Okay. I mean, I'm sure it happens. I would bet <clears> hundred percent <throat> it happens. I'm just
1: I'm curious if if a, a new person who had trouble with drugs other than alcohol. Uh, walked into an AA meeting because that's what they found, whatever, and started sharing about their drug use, is it okay? Would you think it would be okay for AA as a fellowship to believe they should not be talking there because that has nothing to
0: do with alcoholism? So I've talked to some people that are, I would say, in that position, and at least one guy in particular who I do know quite well, because he and, and he's an interesting example because here's a guy who he – has a lot of time now. I still keep in touch with him vaguely for the longest time. He went to both fellowships, went to AA and to here uh, to NA, shouldn't say here. He went to AA and to NA. And at times people had asked him to go share as part of an H and I, you know, service uh, to go into, to speak at rehabs on behalf of Narcotics Anonymous and I didn't feel like that was right. I felt like that wasn't, you know, he was going to both fellowships and he has a very, what I would call a mixed message. If you're getting into the languaging of it, um, that he has a very mixed message. And that I don't think that he should be speaking in that capacity as a member of narcotics anonymous. You know what I mean? Like it, it seemed very blurred now. I will tell you what, anyway, knowing that guy and he was a member of my home group for a long time and has really good recovery. I mean, his message is great. If you heard him share, it's a great message. That's why people would ask him to go into treatment because he has this great, strong, powerful message. Um, But he had explained to me almost similar to what we had talked about earlier. What happened to him was he went there uh, for a lot of time, identified his drug problem and identified all that. And then just got hooked in with some people that helped him, adjust the way that he looked at that, adjust the way that he used his language and then encouraged him to come to NA for his drug problem, you know, which is why he went to both for a long time. He went to AA for what, you know, for, because he liked the meetings now in his version, the program was the same, take out those words. You know what I mean? Like that he looked at the AA program as being all encompassing that it did focus on all these other areas but you identified it a certain way and applied it in the meeting in that way for the unity aspect, but that those principles were, you know, in all areas of your life that the, you didn't just apply them to just alcohol that that program applied to all areas of your life. You know, their 12 step is the same as ours. You know, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, We try to carry this message to addicts and practice these principles in all areas of our affairs. So why they identify and this is, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but why they identify, you know, alcohol specific in the first step for the sake of their meetings and their fellowship. You can take those same principles and apply them in all areas of your life to a drug problem, to a gambling problem, to a sex addiction problem and get the same outcome. Um, But he was encouraged to go to different fellowships. So he identified as an alcoholic and clean or, I guess, sober in those meetings and identified another way when he came to our meetings. And, you know, I don't know. Like I say, it worked for him. I love the guy. He's got a great message. He's still someone I see periodically, I keep in touch with, you know. And I think he can help a lot of people with that experience.
1: I think it's definitely area-specific, too. I've heard that, like, uh, maybe the Bel Air area is pretty universal where, you know, more people who use drugs do go to AA, but then there's some other areas like probably the Baltimore area where they're pretty thorough. And this is what you need to talk about if you're in here, because this is our problem. Um I, I don't know. I'm still, I, I can't say I'm completely sold. I, I get being compassionate and understanding the people. I can't say I'm completely sold or not finding this to be important. I, I think if a, alcoholic walked into an AA meeting where everyone only talked about drug use, uh, and they didn't find the help they needed because they compared out because of that, I would think AA had failed its purpose. And so I would say it's important for these fellowships to kind of have specific language for their fellowship that, you know, hits the person that needs it, that they can compare in. Um, but I, I do understand you know some of your points today too. So uh, back to Caroline's question, what about if you're super respectful, you follow whatever fellowships language you know uh, you're going into, can you share in another fellowships meeting? Now, I would say just to clarify, like I'm not talking about walking in, I've been to, you know, an AA anniversary where I showed in, popped up, I might've shared for a couple minutes, did my best, like you said, to respect their language and, and, you know, what they're talking about there. I'm talking about probably being like the lead speaker
0: for the meeting. Um, I personally wouldn't do it, you know, if, if it was me, but again, I don't know. I mean, even now, like, was that the guy that I referred to earlier was that, you know, wrong to ask him to go into a recovery place as a representative of a fellowship. He wasn't solely committed to, I don't know. He's got a great message. If he encouraged people to come to meetings and get clean in the treatment center, then more power to him. I mean, I think in, in his case, I would say he did less harm than good. So, you know, who am I to judge, but I wouldn't go to another fellowship and be a speaker in that sense, I would decline. I mean, I would and just say, like, I don't feel like I have the experience to come adequately represent your group. (laughs) No, I I would
1: agree. If somebody like from AA asked me to share a specifically AA meeting, I would definitely have to decline because I don't have that experience. But I'm curious when you talk about this guy, if he was doing both fellowships, why do you feel like his message was would have been unclear? Like he was an NA member, right?
0: Well, so he had, when he came to the NA fellowship, I think he had six or seven years in the other fellowship and had only been coming to our meeting for a shorter amount of time. Um, you know, ha, if you're really not involved with our service structure or haven't formally worked NA 12 steps with an NA sponsor, you know, are you really, and of course we have all those people do that anyway, I guess, <laughs> you know, like we have people go speak in facilities that probably haven't even finished the first three steps, but you know, <laughs> I have criteria that I have, you know, whatever deemed uh, what qualifies someone to be a speaker for, you know, if, if I was a panel leader for a H&I commitment that's backfired on me too. So I don't know. <laughs> like, I had a guy with 20 some years who had worked, I, you know, the steps a couple times over. And I took him into a facility and man, he dropped so many F bombs and his language was terrible. And he talked a ton about using. And it just, it took me aback because I had an expectation, you know, without being really clear up front. Anyway. Hey, I drop a lot of F bombs. I think that's spiritual. <laughs> yeah, well, it depends on the facility. If the facility asks you not to, <laughs> sure.
1: you know, which I, it, we have
0: some of those. Yeah.
1: I definitely, you know, that goes back to like if somebody calls me and says, hey, can you come share my meeting? Uh, you know, it's a it's a meeting where we don't use profanity. I'd probably say, well, why the fuck are you asking me? <laughs> like, yeah. That's part of my yeah. story.
0: And again, I don't necessarily disagree with the spirit or the intention of the clarity statement. I think if that was, you know, written in a book somewhere, it's and, you know, the, the fellowship had some review and input on that whole idea and concept. Like you could make that a whole chapter in a fucking piece of literature or a pamphlet. And I, I personally would like to see it reviewed and input by the fellowship as a whole to get a more spiritual and what I feel like is spiritual and loving approach to it. Um, but I just don't know that again, I'm for less rules, um, less guidelines, less, you know, let's get everybody into line so that we're all, you know, I don't think that the fellowship works that way. I think it works best when it's left open and free and, uh, with the, the general structure of the 12 traditions. And I don't know that anything. I feel like the points that people make to stress the need for a clarity statement um, are debatable. You know, it's not like a clear cut. Like, if you call yourself an alcoholic, you're in clear violation of tradition one. Like, I don't think so. I don't see it that way at all, you know?
1: So I would say, uh, no, yeah, I'm with you. I I would say, I. I would not think it's okay to have a speaker from a different program in my program, right? That's my, that's my take on it. I don't think that's okay. They don't have experience with working my program. And that's the point of what you're sharing as far as I understand it. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that, I have heard, people in home groups throughout the years of mine that, you know, we've gotten a speaker and the speaker gets up and shares and has not worked a step and has like four months clean and shares <laughs> a fucking tragic mess. Yeah. And would I have rather heard a speaker from another fellowship who could disguise their language? Absolutely. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> would have been way better than that for my life. Uh, And so I I guess what I would say is, if you have the ability and and the practice, and you can share, so that I would never know you were from another fellowship, fuck it, do it. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's how you know. That's kind of how I look at it too. And again, most of this I apply to myself more than I ever look at it as how I'm going to enforce it. But if I were going to say I was going to, you know, enforce this, uh, my home group's not a speaker meeting, but even if it was. You know, I don't know that I would ever have a speaker that was from another fellowship, and I would probably—I mean, just me personally—would probably even struggle a little bit with someone that I knew went to multiple fellowships. I mean, that's just me. Well, and that's confusing uh, to me. Yeah, and and I mean, it would again, it would be situational. It wouldn't be, you know, if you ever went to any other fellowship, you can't. Sh- I mean, I wouldn't approach it like that, but I would say. If you had 10 years in another fellowship and you've been in this fellowship for, uh, let's say, a year or two years or three years, but you didn't have an N.A. sponsor or you hadn't worked N.A. steps or you hadn't really done any service in N.A. I mean, again, how well could you carry a message of Narcotics Anonymous as a speaker representing Narcotics Anonymous?
1: I swear to God, I never understand what the hell you're going to say. I never know where you're coming (laughs) from. (laughs) You spent... You spent this whole podcast telling me how inclusive and open we should be with these other things. And then I don't know. I feel like that guy's a member. He said he's a member. He's been coming for a year. Fuck it. He's a
0: member. Like, I. Yeah, so that's the difference. I would never (laughs) discourage him from coming to my home group, from sharing in my home group, but I wouldn't ask him to be a speaker. You know what I mean? Like, I would still. I mean, I would encourage people that are using. If you're fucking high, keep coming, man. Come every week. Come fucking high. Come drunk. I don't care. I'll sit next to you. We'll fucking chat it up while you're drunk. I'll make fun of you. That's fine. Keep coming. I want you to have a good time. I want you to be here. You deserve to be here. You belong here. But I'm not going to ask you to sit at the fucking table and share your experience with me because I don't need that experience. You know what I mean? Right. So I think we have to, you know. As a fellowship, I want our fellowship to be encouraging and open. I want – when we have events, I would encourage you to come to events. Oh, come to the NA picnic. Come to the fucking NA softball. Come to all the NA stuff. You don't have to be clean. You don't have to have a sponsor. You don't have to work steps. Come to this stuff. You know, See what we're about. Get a taste of what this thing of recovery is. Um, But I don't think because I encourage people to come or I think they should come – That they are a representative of the fellowship, if that makes Hmm. sense. Super interesting. Super interesting.
1: So are there pure alcoholics anymore? Is that still really a thing? Like I feel like uh, almost every alcoholic I know did a pill here or there or – engaged in something, I guess, maybe not all of them.
0: I mean, that's like saying, are there any real drug addicts, you know, like as, as, as when we identify ourselves as, so, and I had hinted on this a little bit earlier, but it's like in NA, we do the little, you know, back and forth. Like we want to say our identification as addicts is all inclusive, but we don't really encourage people to come in and talk about their sex addiction, You know, I've I've heard people get sort of shut down for sharing about, you know, even smoking, sex addiction, gambling, you know, any of these outside things, you know, are considered outside issues for Narcotics Anonymous. And those aren't what we're here for. We have a very clear, you know, we don't like to say that our fellowship is specifically about drug addiction, but we are specifically about drug addiction. That's what we are. Identification as addicts. Is not all inclusive. It's all inclusive as long as you're a drug addict. You know that's that's the truth of it. You know I, I think it needs to be. Yeah, I, and I do too. And I don't see a problem with that. I think, but let's own that shit. Let's not. Oh, okay. Like, you know, let's not act like we're one on one hand, one fellowship that fucking for all diseases and all that stuff. But then, well, yeah, but you can't share about your other diseases in here. You got to keep that shit out. Hmm. You know, no, let's. You know, we are about and I and again, I think just like the alcoholics, I think that's what keeps us on point. We fucking identify. We are about drug or I keep saying we narcotics anonymous is about, uh, you know, addiction to drugs and mind altering, you know, substances Um And if we get off of that, we lose our point of focus. We lose our unity. We lose our identification, you know, as a fellowship.
1: So I guess this leads me to the question, since there's so much debate about this, would we be better served by a one world recovery program? Would that be more useful and and get rid of all these issues we're talking about with recovery language and what you can and can't say? Or would that be more harmful in the sense that people who wanted to get a day clean off of drugs wouldn't hear what they needed to hear in every
0: meeting? Um, I don't know that one would be more harmful. I just don't. Uh, so this gets sort of back to something we had talked about. Uh, we had texted back and forth a little bit about when we were talking about this subject. So whether the program is a success or not, we, we had kind of talked back and forth about if someone relapses, does that mean the program doesn't work and that sort of thing? And my idea of recovery is I have nothing against every 12-step, non-12-step, non-abstinence-based, whatever kind of recovery programs are out there, to me personally, the more the better. We can have an AA, we can have a CDA, we can have an SLA, we can have a, you know, whatever. Every A there is under the sun the more the better, because to me, you're casting a broader net and you're going to get more people engaged in the process of recovery at a place that they can identify. So would it hurt to have a one addict recovery fellowship? I don't think so. I think it would be great. I'd probably stay where I'm at, you know, because I'm happy and I'm getting my needs met, but I would encourage and support and help you know, encourage people that I thought could benefit from that to go there. And I think it would be incredibly useful. All right. I don't know that I got
1: any more. I definitely think we've, uh, we've done my job of beating this one, digging it up, beating it a couple more
0: times. You got anything else you want to input into it? No, I think I'm good. Like say, I, I hate the clarity statement being read. In me <laughs> I'm going to always be in a group where we say less readings, less rules.
1: Let's, you know, let's. I, I, let's I'm, I'm for less stuff. readings. Right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm for less readings. You want to read, uh, uh, you know, what is NA and why are we here? Beautiful. That sounds great. That explains enough of it to get us to, you know, the point. Uh, but I'm not in any way against the clarity statement. I don't think it in itself is offensive or rude. I think it's just a statement of clarity. Uh, and I don't think it's—I it don't think it's offensive by itself, right? Uh, some of the actions people have, I mean, that's like saying the Bible uh, isn't really offensive, but people do a whole lot of cruddy shit in the name of the Bible, right? Like that doesn't mean we should get rid of the Bible. Uh, I, I feel the same way about the clarity statement. If your group wants to read it, fuck it, read it. Like it does explain something. It might not be taken to heart or used. Like people are definitely going to call themselves addicts and alcoholics in your meeting and clean and sober, but fuck it, read it anyway.
0: Yeah, maybe that's what I'll do from now on. If they read the clarity statement, I'm an addict and an alcoholic. <laughs> oh God, I want to be in these meetings <laughs> just for fun. Just for fun. No, I want to hear, I wanna hear I the cross shares. Clarity statement in and of itself is offensive. I actually agree with the 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 verbiage of it is correct. I agree with all that. I just it's the spirit of it or the way that it seems to get interpreted that bugs me. So that's I my with it really. So that's it. I, I,
1: I think <laughs> I'm just going to correct people who like live by the clarity statement. Uh, every time they call themselves dope fiends and crackheads from now on I'm be like, Whoa, Whoa, <laughs> Whoa, right. Whoa, Whoa. You are also wrong, <laughs> my
0: friend. <laughs> Let me read you this clarity statement. Right. <laughs> I include the part where it talks about dope fiends from the bullet. Cause they yes. never. Part. <laughs> no,
1: no. All right. Well, I guess that's all we got for today. I uh, hope everybody has a good week and we will see you again next week. That wraps up this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred platform. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about, or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor, email us at recoverysortof at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.